Let's uh, show our appreciation, shall we, to the worship group for leading us so well this morning. Please do take a seat. It's uh, quite fun being up here today with this orientation because I can actually hear myself back as the sound reverbs off the building uh, in front of us. So who knows, I might even be convicted by my own sermon uh, this morning. Uh, You never know. Uh, It might help you to know that I already feel convicted by all I have to share uh, this morning, which you'll discern as we make our way through. Well, for those of you I don't know, my name's uh, Chris Brockway. I have the real privilege of being involved in the leadership of the church here at CBC. The absolute privilege this morning of opening up God's word for us. Well, I wonder if you know an incredible statistic, and the statistic is this. 93 million selfies are taken every single day of the week. 93 million selfies. Now, maybe you're wondering what a selfie is. It's when you get your camera and you take a photograph of yourself. Um, How many of us are prolific selfie takers here this morning? Probably not too many of us. Okay, we've got a few admissions. Well, apparently the average person takes 450 selfies on their smartphone every year. That's the average person. Now, I can't remember the last time I took a selfie for fear of breaking my phone. Uh, So I'm definitely not contributing to that 450 average. Every third photograph that is taken worldwide is a selfie. What a statement. Every third photograph that is taken is a selfie. And in fact, there's a diagnosable condition now. It's called selfie-itis. Selfie-itis, which is the compulsive need to photograph yourself. If that's you today, there'll be prayer ministry offered afterwards. Well, as Kay said, today we get to the fourth message in our series, looking at some of the one another statements that are captured in Scripture. Our one another series, I guess we can say, is the opposite, isn't it, to living in a selfie culture. If we've heard nothing in this series so far, we probably have heard the message, it's not all about me, but actually the way we live life is more often about others. Our one another command today, honour one another, appears implicitly over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture. And you'll find at least one explicit reference that says, honour one another. That's captured in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And there the Apostle Paul says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. The message version of the Bible puts this so brilliantly well. It says, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. In other words, don't be afraid to take the supporting role. Don't be afraid to assume a lower rank than the rank you actually have. Don't be afraid to sit in the back seats when you travel. All the arguments that happen in our house about where people are going to sit in the car. Or maybe you want a football analogy today. Don't be afraid to be substituted off so that somebody else can have a turn. Well, as we look at this theme today, I particularly want to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say to the church in Philippi on this theme. He doesn't explicitly here in Philippians say to them, honour one another, but there's no doubt that he's making exactly the same point with just a few more words. And in making the point that he makes, Jesus cites the best example that there is of honouring other people. 
In short, his message this morning is this. If you want to be like Jesus, then you will honour others. To honour others is to be like Jesus. So what does it mean to honour another person? Well, to honour someone means to put value to something or to someone. To honour another person is to consider them precious or weighty or worthy of deep respect. The challenge that comes to us today, I think, as Christians, as sons of daughters of the King, in a sense, is to try and outdo one another in our honouring of each other, considering others precious and weighty and of value. I wonder if you know that this morning, that you're precious, you are weighty, in the right sense, and you are of value this morning. One way of honouring another person, of course, is to put their needs, their wants, their desires ahead of our own. It's no wonder, is it, that Jesus, uh, that, that Paul cites Jesus as the example par excellence, a bit of French there for you as well. Well, if you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read just verses 1 to 4, although we could read the whole of this incredible text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from sharing in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul's big point in Philippians chapter 2 is that Christ is the ultimate example who we are called to follow. Again, the message version, verses 2 to 3 say, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to offer a helping hand. Forget yourselves long enough to offer a helping hand. I guess we could say that honouring one another is an issue of humility, isn't it? I love what William Temple says about humility. He says a correct understanding of humility is this. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people. Nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other. In other words, truly humble people don't swing to the extreme of pride at the one end, but neither do they swing to the equally bad, we could say equally sinful extreme, of false humility, where we deny who God has gifted us to be. Humility finds itself in that sweet spot, somewhere in the middle. Neither does it deny, but nor does it boast. Well, let's get really vulnerable uh, together for a moment, shall we? I wonder if your human nature is anything like mine. Every now and again, perhaps always, like me, you struggle with these concepts and you struggle with these principles. Honouring one another doesn't come naturally to us, does it? With human nature being what it is, most of us are far too concerned about honour for ourselves and advancing our own reputations, so we don't give terribly much time to others. 
my tendency, perhaps yours too. And if this isn't your tendency, then I'm standing here very alone and feeling super overexposed this morning, is to think too much of ourselves and to think too little of others. You know, it seems to me there are only a few people who have the strength to honour someone else's achievement without envy. You know, I'm so thankful to God that he's really helped me progress in this area a lot because in my younger years, especially my younger years of ministry, this was a real struggle for me. Pride, which I guess we could argue is the polar opposite of humility, is the temptation tripstone for me. I wonder if this tripstone gets you sometimes too. One of the best, worst examples in scripture of a lack of humility, a lack of honouring others, was King Saul. I wonder if you remember the story from the Old Testament. You've got puny little David, who's the only one willing to step forward to take on the giant Goliath with the challenge that he gave. And with faith in God, David steps out of obscurity and defeats this giant with just a few stones. Now, King Saul, we read in Scripture, was pretty pleased about all of this until he heard the women of Israel singing praises of the young boy. Saul has slain thousands, David his tens of thousands. I've never been asked to lead worship. I can't understand why. Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Oh dear, that kind of a song to the ears of somebody who struggles with pride, who has issues with humility and honouring others is like red rag to a bull, isn't it? We read in scripture that this made Saul incredibly angry. In fact, Saul saw David's success as a personal insult. Isn't it weird how that happens, how pride does that? Your success is an insult to me. And Saul in this moment becomes a rage monster, we're told in scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is Saul's response. Saul was very angry. This song displeased him greatly. They have given credit to David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye, we might say a green envious eye on David. Aren't we human beings sometimes a bit weird and a bit twisted? Success can make people hate you. Saul couldn't stand the thought of somebody else getting more praise than him. He couldn't stand the fact that the spotlight was taken off of him and put instead on somebody else's face. And what Saul demonstrates here, we could say, is anti-honour. And I wonder if, in just a small way, not because you've only killed a thousand people and someone else has killed 10,000, but maybe in some other way, whether you can identify with Saul here in this moment. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in that place when someone else gets all of the attention that you yourself are craving. And there's a terrible temptation, isn't there, in those moments to discredit them somehow or behind the scenes with little groups of other people to somehow find a way of undermining them. Their put down can become your step up. Well, what's absolutely essential to honouring somebody else is humility. Honouring and respecting another person will not happen if we have a superior or holier-than-thou attitude. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul cites Jesus as the example. 
Now, of all the people in the world who had the right to have a holier-than-thou attitude, Jesus had the right to have it, didn't he? Even though Jesus was literally holier-than-thou, and he could have dined out on that title for the rest of eternity, as we've heard in our uh, thinking already this morning, he made himself nothing, we're told. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Well, in this moment here where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, they were dealing with some friction and some hostility in the church. Why? Well, there's a simple answer. It's one word, people. That's the reason why. It's because there were people in the church that there was a problem. It was a bunch of people who were living in a selfie culture, a culture obsessed with self. You know, this selfie culture is nothing new to our day. But Paul's message to the church in Philippi was so simple. It was stop taking selfies and instead look at the example of Jesus. Would you turn the camera from your own face and turn it around and celebrate or capture, we could say, the success of others? You see, Paul is simply pointing out here that division is a sign of a heart problem. It's even a sign of a selfish obsession. And he points us to the greatest example that there's ever been, who is Jesus, of living in a countercultural way. In the opening words of Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes what it means to be united with Christ and united with other. And he speaks about being of one mind. He speaks about single-mindedness. Being of one mind that will lead to unity, because when we live like that, our aim is to glorify God and to honour others. However, what he's saying here is when our hearts grow selfish, when we start thinking less of unity and we start thinking less of others and more of self, he's saying you can be sure you've got a heart problem. More of me, Lord. More of me in my life. You know, I might not explicitly say that to people, but I'm so aware that sometimes in my actions that can be actually what I'm communicating. Lord, more of me, more of me in my life and for that matter, more of me in your life. But no, says Paul this morning, he says, you should strive to be selfless rather than selfish. He's saying it's through genuine humility, Christ-like humility, that ultimately we become more like Jesus. When we focus on others instead of ourselves, then then we're following Christ Jesus' uh, example and being more like him. The first verse, verse 1, encourages us to have that same mindset of Jesus when it comes to our relationships. Paul says, uh, he's saying here about being like-minded, that he's saying if we're like-minded, then actually there'll be a good outcome. He's saying that our mindset is inextricably hardwired to our attitudes, and our attitudes then shape our behaviours. In other words, we become who we think we are. If I think I'm the king, then I'll act like the king. If I feel like the world owes me something, then I'll live like the world owes me a payment all of the time. If my mindset is like Christ, then I'll begin to act like Christ. Next in verse 2, Paul points out a very specific way that Jesus thought. Jesus was God and yet he didn't use his status as creator of the universe, the one who literally threw stars into space to get what he wanted. And yet he had every right to do so. Jesus didn't think of himself, he thought of others. 
In verses 3 to 4, Paul then robustly challenges this selfie culture. Value others above yourself, he says. Don't look to your own interests. What a countercultural message then, and it's still a countercultural message today. And then come, and we didn't read these, but you'll probably know these words already so well. Verses 7 through to 8, where Paul goes on to describe the example of Jesus. And Paul goes on here using the example of Jesus to reveal what honouring other people looks like in practice. And as I read this text, every time two themes or two words jump out to me. And if you want a takeaway for today, these can be your takeaways. The two words are service and sacrifice. Verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus didn't just think of others. He actually served others. His thoughts became his actions. He was the God-man, deity and humanity, perfectly united in one, and yet he comes as a servant. He came as king of kings, not to be ministered to, but to minister to others. Isn't that scripture verse that Kay read for us so challenging earlier on about the way Jesus acted around his disciples? As Kay was describing cleaning each other's feet, Toby blessed me by showing showing me his manky feet. I don't want to wash those. Thank you very much. But what we discovered too from this text is it didn't just end there. Jesus served, but too, Jesus sacrificed himself for the sake of others. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, many people will struggle to serve others if we have a sense it's going to cost us something. Many people will struggle to serve if we feel we're not going to get any recognition for that service. If they know sacrifice is involved, well, then I'm no willing to go the extra mile. Too often I find it's this fear of sacrifice that keeps me from honouring others and experiencing the joy unspeakable that comes from knowing and comes from glorifying God. Service and sacrifice and then in verse 9 there comes a therefore. Therefore because of this, because of this service and because of this sacrifice, God exalted him to the name that's above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Service and sacrifice leads to a therefore. Who should we honour? In short, Scripture says we should honour everyone. No one is excluded because everyone is made in the image of God and therefore is worthy of honour. My guess is this evening as we watch the football, there'll be an awful lot of honour given to the 11 or 16, however many players end up playing on the team this evening, especially if they win. But what our text is challenging us with this morning is it's saying it's not only the England football team that are worthy of honour. You and I are worthy of some honour this morning. The people sat around us are worthy of some honour. That's the kind of honour that uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 and Philippians 2 is commanding. They have, this honour has nothing to do with position. It's got nothing to do with what we produce. It's all about who God has made others to be. We're to honour one another above ourselves because loves, God loves and honours and values 
other people. So as I wrap up, I just want to bring us to one final question, and I want to turn this into prayer for us this morning. And the question is this, how can we demonstrate that we honour others above ourselves? And as we're still and quiet together, I just want to throw out a few examples and encourage you to think of your own this morning as well. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Let's just reflect, listen to what God might be saying to us personally by his spirit this morning. Lord, our great desire this morning is that we would be people who honour others. Perhaps we honour others by not booing them when they sing their national anthem or when they choose to take the knee to stand against racism. Maybe we honour others when we exercise some social responsibility by wearing a face covering to safeguard others, even if the law says we don't have to. We honour those who are persecuted and subjected to work in the pornographic industry when we turn on our internet filter, when we choose not to engage with such material. Maybe we honour our employers by working really hard with integrity. And we honour our employees by leading them well and by not abusing their commitment to us. We honour those who serve us in restaurants and supermarkets and so on by treating them with dignity and with honour in their humanity. Even when we've had a bad day, we still honour them. Perhaps we honour our brothers and sisters in Christ by recognising they might have a different worship preference or style to us, and yet still they worship God. We honour our parents by respecting them. We honour our children by not frustrating them. We honour creation by being a good steward of it. Just in a few moments of stillness. Listen to God as by his spirit, he just gently prompts you and convicts you of the application of this message for you. What does it look like to serve, to sacrifice for the sake of another in the context we find ourselves in? as we're still and as we're listening to what God says, just that gentle breeze is moving amongst, amongst us. So often that's how God moves amongst us, just gently. We're aware of his presence. As you feel that breeze this morning, allow it to be a reminder to you that you're loved by God beyond measure. You're a person this morning of incredible worth and value. 
those this morning who surround us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are people who God delights in today. Service and sacrifice lead to a therefore. And as that was true for Jesus, I have a sense that's true for us as well. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. My father will honour the one who serves me. And Lord, our prayer today as we move on in our worship as we go into the rest of our day is that we will be people who serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave everything for us in order that we can be free. Lord, we just repeat the words we've already sung in that song. We will offer up our lives in spirit and truth. Lord, take the sacrifice that we offer today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.